You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, let Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you, as we do week by week, to join us here in this place this morning, and we trust that you are here in our midst. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Tucked away down a side hallway in the Louisville International Airport, there's a chapel. Now, officially, they call it a meditation room, but if it were in a hospital, it would be a chapel, and that's the function it serves. It's a place for people to go when they're burdened to find some peace. And in it, there are four sort of seats arranged to face the far wall, And on that wall, where you would expect to see some kind of religious symbol, there's a marbled piece of glass rising out of a bed of stones with sort of a soft light thrown up on it. It's very peaceful in there and quiet. In fact, it's so peaceful that peaceful is not quite the right word for it. The chapel at the Louisville International Airport is silent. In his first letter to the Corinthian church, just before he gets into his discussion of spiritual gifts, Paul reminds the people of Corinth what their lives used to be like before they came to know Jesus Christ. You know that when you were pagans, he says, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. That's reminiscent of what he says to the Romans, isn't it? When he describes a people with darkened hearts who, he says, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. This is idolatry, right? Worshiping an image, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And how does Paul illustrate this distinction? between God and idol, between creature and creator. Unlike Jesus, he says, idols are things that cannot speak, things that do not speak, statues, images, ideas. Now, the worship of images of birds and animals and reptiles has sort of fallen out of fashion over the years, although honestly that's actually starting to turn around I read about one study that suggested that there are now more witches in America than mainline Presbyterians. Now, anyway, even if we find, you and I, that outright paganism is a little out there, the worship of things that cannot speak is alive and well. Think of money, sex, power, success, beauty, These things inspire fanatical devotion in their worshipers. These are religions that are not called religions. And people make sacrifices to these gods and pledge loyalty 
to them. And really, when you get down to it, there's almost no difference between them and the pagan gods of the nations. I mean, what's the difference, really, between sacrificing your family on the altar of career success and throwing a virgin into a volcano? Almost no difference at all. What's the difference between praying that working every weekend will get you ahead and hoping that the God of rain will water the earth this season? There's no difference. And the major way that these gods are the same, the God of career success who you may worship, or the rain, the rain God who demands a virgin thrown into the volcano, the way these religions that are not called religions, the way their gods are the same, is that none of these gods speak. These are gods who do not speak. And you can see how these things become religions, right? If you throw a virgin into a volcano and the rains do come, well, then you're going to throw a virgin into that volcano every single year. And if the rains don't come, you might try two virgins or ten virgins or burning someone at the stake or what have you. It inspires devotion. If on your quest for success you sacrifice your family, but still aren't quite where you want to be, you'll sacrifice something else. Your physical health, your mental health, something, anything else to appease the God who does not speak. But the problem with a God who doesn't speak is that you never know. You never know what sacrifice might be enough. You toss the virgin into the volcano and then... You cross your fingers, hoping that it was enough. In the early 2000s, a young man named named Timothy Treadwell went to live with a pack of Alaskan grizzly bears. Now, I don't think it would be going too far to say that Treadwell worshipped nature. And these bears in particular, he didn't identify at all with the human world. And year over year, he spent more and more time out in the Alaskan wilderness with the bears. You might say that he sacrificed his normal human life to the God he worshipped, the God of nature in general and these grizzlies in particular. And then, of course, in the fall of 2003... Timothy Treadwell got eaten by a bear. Treadwell worshipped a God who didn't speak. And eventually that God destroyed him. Literally, with a roar and gnashing of teeth. But listen, don't laugh at Timothy Treadwell. The mute idols of sex and money and power and success and beauty are no less vicious and merciless than a grizzly bear. And they will kill you just as dead. Just ask someone who has lost everything. Ask yourself. I can only imagine someone with real struggles walking into the chapel at the Louisville airport. You walk in and it's calm and quiet. It's silent. And it actually does have the feeling that something wonderful might happen. There's an air of expectation in there. But then you look up front and the beautifully lit marbled piece of glass just sits there. And it's calm 
and quiet. And it's calm and quiet forever. No matter what, that marble piece of glass doesn't have anything to say. Its silence is crushing. It's not just silent. It's mute. It has nothing to offer. The people who go into that chapel must come out wondering if what they did in that room did them any good at all. Because you can never know when you have adequately appeased a God who doesn't speak. And therefore, a God who doesn't speak, whether it's a marbled piece of glass, a rain deity, a grizzly bear, or career success, a God who does not speak is terrifying. A friend of mine once said that the most hopeless and fearful sentence in the English language is, that's just the way it is. And I believe that. That's just the way it is must be what you're left with in the face of the silence of the marbled piece of glass in the Louisville airport. That's just the way it is when a husband, father, wife, mother, brother, or sister sacrifices everything in their life for something that seemed like it would be worth it, but in the end wasn't worth very much at all. And a bear eating someone? Well, that's just the way it is. But that's just the way it is, is not a Christian sentiment. We do not worship a mute, powerless deity who can't do anything about the way things are and instead destroys us when our sacrifices aren't good enough. In fact, we worship a God who intervened, a God who came into the world of that's just the way it is, with a redeeming word. And we just had the epiphany. Our celebration of God revealing himself, speaking himself into the world in the form of his son. In our reading from John this morning, we have Jesus announcing himself with his first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. We have a God who speaks. And that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Before you knew Jesus, you worshiped a God who didn't speak. Things that stood mute in the face of your sufferings. Things that ultimately, therefore, destroyed you. But now, you have a God who has something to say. As John wrote in the introduction to his gospel, the story of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, he calls Jesus the Word. He says that the Word was with God, and the Word was God and came to dwell with us. Jesus is what God has to say to this world. Into a world in which virgins are thrown into volcanoes. A world in which people sacrifice everything good in their life for a weekend with their secretary or for an extra zero at the end of their paycheck in which a grizzly bear devours its most fervent worshipers. Into this world, our God speaks. And he speaks Jesus. Listen to the beautiful way Sally Lloyd-Jones writes it at the end of her story about Jonah. 
and his at first resisted and then delivered message of forgiveness and redemption in her Jesus storybook Bible. Here's what she writes. Many years later, God was going to send another messenger with the same wonderful message. Like Jonah, he would spend three days in utter darkness. But this messenger would be God's own son. He will be called the Word because he himself would be God's message. God's message translated into our own language. Everything God wanted to say to the whole world in a person. When we walk into a chapel, burdened, we don't look to the front and see a well-lit, marbled piece of glass. We see a cross. More specifically, we see a man wounded, hanging on a cross. We see the very Word of God sacrificed for the sins of the world. A marbled piece of glass, while perhaps beautiful, doesn't have anything to say to us, to our pain. It stands mute. Jesus on the cross is God speaking to you. It is his comforting word to you. It is his soft, soothing voice. Jesus is God saying he knows your pain. That he is in your pain with you. And he has finished his redeeming work for you. Father, forgive them were the words that the word of God prayed over us. And on his account, because of his work and because of his word, we have been forgiven. Amen.